Hey everyone, welcome to the Actorzilla podcast. I'm James Larson, and on the podcast today we have RJ McGee. Welcome, RJ. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. RJ is super talented, and he is a casting director. He's a talent manager. He's a director. He's a career coach, a creative producer, an educator, and I know he is a talented actor as well. Um, yeah, we were we were talking about how we met at auditions, and I asked the question before about, um, yeah, how you know just about all these different roles that you do. It's been fun to kind of see on Facebook, kind of the interplay between all of them, and I would just love to know more about your journey between them. Yeah, well, it's a great question, and again, thank you for having me. So I finished my undergrad in 2012 at Temple University, and I was in a performance program. But while I was in that program, I sort of realized that I did have some interest in exploring, you know, what we call the other side of the table. I didn't totally know what that looked like. I always knew that casting was something that interested me. I don't think I ever really knew what it truly meant to be a professional casting director. But uh, while I was in school, I interned at the Art and Theater Company in Philadelphia as the casting intern for the summer, which was great because a lot of people were traveling during the summer. The Arden doesn't produce during the summer. So I was given quite a bit of responsibility on setting up casting assignments and auditions for their upcoming season. And actually what was interesting about it was I sort of learned that I wasn't really ready yet to fully divest myself from performing. So when I graduated, I sort of hit the ground running and that's where you and I met. I was sort of just doing the New York pounding the pavement thing. I actually lived in Philadelphia. It wasn't until wow. much later that I lived in New York city, but I commuted from Philadelphia to New York a couple times a week um, going out on auditions. I had representation, an agent and a manager, um, you know, and then like yourself, I did shows all over the country. Um, and then concurrently, while all of this was happening, I met a manager actually for representation for myself, but we really just hit it off immediately on sort of a personal level. And I said to him, I said, listen, if you ever have a need for an assistant or some sort of capacity that we could work together outside of you sending me out on auditions, I would love that. And a few months later, he contacted me and said, I have an idea. I think that we should partner up and you help me fill out my theater division. His office at the time was at 42nd and 8th and he had never had a client on Broadway. And so I just started really small. I just started pulling people that were friends of mine that I had acted with, classmates, people that I met at auditions and um, brought them to Jamie Baker Management is the name of the company. And I exclusively submitted them on Breakdowns Express for theater and musical theater. And then if they booked anything, then Jamie and I split the commission on that. And that started in 2014, beginning of 2015. And so now we're going on, you know, over 10 years. Well, actually a little bit under 10 years of our work together. And 
the work is almost a hundred percent remote. I actually, in 2023, I only saw Jamie once. I'm going to see him um, in March when I'm in New York city for spring break. So it's a entirely virtual gig and it's entirely commission based. So it's 100% based on if any of the people on my roster, any of the actors on my roster book a job. And then we take 10% of the gross of whatever salary they make, which is obviously pretty standard um, for New York representation, at least in theater. And uh, that's sort of where I am right now with that. In 2018, I came off of a regional contract where I was just so fed up with performing. And I literally just made a LinkedIn and a Gmail account and started RJ McGee Casting, which is a freelance casting office. In a way, it's like being an actor. You know, it's um, contract work, bid business work. So a producer or a director or a playwright or a composer comes to me and says, um, hey, we have this role in this play or musical or TV show or movie or reality show that we need to fill or commercial that we need to fill. And so I'm sort of their personal shopper. I assess what they're looking for in that particular role in that actor. And then I utilize my database of actors that I've met at showcases and who have auditioned for me previously. And I get submissions from agents and managers. And I try to narrow it down to who I think best represents my client's vision. So not necessarily who I think would be the best for the role if I were directing it or producing it. I'm really trying to channel someone else's vision for their project and find the right fit for them. And so I still do that on a freelance basis. And then in 2020, um, just as the pandemic, excuse me, just as the pandemic was starting, I went back to school to get my MFA because it had been a long time dream of mine to teach theater in higher education, specifically musical theater, and sort of marry the professional world and the academic world because I felt like there was sort of a disconnect between those two entities, right? So you know, a lot of students were going into conservatories and BFA programs and being taught by educators who maybe haven't, you know, auditioned or done the New York thing in 25 years, you know. And so I felt like I really had a lot to say as an educator because I had done so much of just the boots on the ground, New York City, 16 bars, five, six, seven, eight headshot resume across the floor, you know, the stuff that James and I did for many, many years. And I wanted to sort of mentor the next generation and help better prepare them for that environment. So in order to do that, to teach at the college level, you need what's called a terminal degree. And in theater, that's a master of fine arts. So I got an MFA in theater with a musical theater concentration, and it was very pedagogical pedagogy heavy, the program was. So I taught quite a bit. Um, and I had taught previously to grad school and coached professional actors. Um, you know, I'm often asked to guest teach at Actors Connection and studios like that in New York and across the country. But it wasn't until I got to grad school that I actually started teaching beginners, which was really interesting. Um, 
because every semester I taught acting for non-majors. So um, it was always interesting uh, applying this kind of work to people who maybe aren't as familiar with what we do. And it was also a class that was required for elementary education majors. So it was fun to try to create parallels for these students as to how and why they could use these skills once they enter their building, you know, as a elementary educator, elementary school educator. And I finished my MFA in May and that brought me to where I am now, which is Longwood University in central Virginia. We're about an hour and a half outside of Richmond. The 2016 vice presidential debate was held here. It's a beautiful campus, a small school compared to many other universities that we're familiar with. It's um, about 4,000 undergrad. And the theater department is very small. We only have about 30 majors at any given time. And then we have quite a robust uh, program in terms of other students and other majors taking our classes and auditioning for our shows. Um, and we have a BFA in theater performance and a musical theater minor. So earlier today, I was on a call, a Zoom call, auditioning a student from Atlanta from our program, for our program. So that's um, sort of what the work I do here consists of when I'm not in the classroom. And when I am in the classroom, I'm teaching acting and musical theater performance and movement and a class called Issues in Theater, where we examine how theater can be a vehicle for displaying and promoting and examining human issues that we struggle with every day, social issues, personal issues, family issues, financial issues, political issues. And uh, I also do quite a bit of administrative work for the program. And on February 28th and 29th, we have Carrie Butler coming uh, to campus to do a master class and to, and to give a concert. So it's very busy here. Um, but I do like the financial stability. And we also get some nice time off because we're on a university calendar. Um, and our school is very supportive for professional development. So if I want to attend conferences or go to New York and take workshops and see shows, you know, they can help um, fund a portion of those opportunities. And, you know, the students I teach are all over the map in terms of experience level. I have some students that I feel like I could take to New York right now and, you know, get them cast in a tour or something. And then I have, you know, some students that have maybe never seen a play before ever in their life. Hmm. So um, it's really fun to work with all the different populations that we have. That's awesome. That's uh, quite a resume. And um, I don't know many people that do all that, you know, that, that <laughs> have that breadth of experience. Uh, I'm just kind of curious what drives that, like what drives you to, to have these different experiences in the industry? Well, career has sort of always been the thing that's driven me sort of being able to level up in terms of whatever my profession is at any given time. So everything has sort of been a means to an end. And I would say for the most part, that end has been um, teaching in a prestigious musical theater college program higher in higher education. Um, you know, I'm in, I'm a visiting professor at Longwood. That means it's a 
fixed term contract. So um, there's potential for me to stay here. And then there's potential that I could end up somewhere else, you know, so I'm always interviewing for other opportunities, applying for other opportunities. You know, I just sort of want to be the best at what I do that I possibly can and have the most amount of connections and opportunities and um, the most robust resume possible. And I still act. I did Anything Goes this past summer. It was directed by uh, Katie Huffman, who was the original Ula and the producers won the Tony award for it. And right now I'm sending out materials for, you know, summer performance opportunities because I do have my summers off. So I'm able to do that as well. I've always wanted to be an educator who can do everything that I'm asking a student to be able to do, Hmm. uh, which isn't always the case uh, with theater teachers, but I feel confident that, um, I can execute most everything that I ask someone else to execute. I love and many that. times I do it for them so they can see how I want it done. And so um, like a good example of that right now is I'm directing little shop of horrors here at Longwood and we open on the 21st of February. So many times I'll have to get up there with them and, you know, act out the scene with them. So they get a sense of the energy and the, quality that I'm going for. So it's fun, but it is a lot of work. And, uh, you know, I don't have much of a, um, life right now outside of, of my work because I'm just so dedicated to, uh, building this career for myself right now. Yeah. So, um, what surprised you the most about going from being an actor to being on the other side of the table? Um, yeah how much rejection there is. I mean, I knew that as an actor, but I kind of thought it was just me. And like, I was the only one getting rejected for things. (laughs) But looking back, I actually had a little more success than the average person. And it's just unbelievable how many people we can submit for a project, how many people can audition, make a beautiful self tape or have, a very promising in-person audition and then they never hear anything, you know? I mean, it's pretty staggering. So um, that is uh, something that I have to sort of keep in mind every day. And now that we're in this world where self-tapes are so prominent, especially for the first round of auditions, I'm able to see the self tapes before they go to casting, you know, and I'll watch them and be like, wow, I can't imagine anyone else being more suited for this role. And then the person won't even get a call back, you know? Right. So it's an incredibly saturated market. And now it's become even a little more national because of self tapes. They're able to consider people in other places a little bit more when that wasn't always the case. So, um, it's just really hard to get a gig. I mean, if you're booking anything, you're kind of one in a million right now, you know, you think uh, and there's you way think... more programs that are graduating actors than there ever were. Right. You know, there's like almost 300 BFA programs in the United States. Wow. And when you and I were, you know, auditioning for schools, there was maybe a couple dozen at the most. Right. So it's so, gotten more saturated and, it, and it's also, 
there's other forces like COVID that has right. hastened the self tape. There's um, the, the actors equity opening up like that. I think that was a big decision too. So, yeah. And um, you know, COVID closed some theaters. Um, it also made theaters produce some smaller shows so they could recover financially. Right. But yet there's more actors than ever. Yeah. So I, I sometimes feel a little bit bad and depressed for people that are graduating yeah. just because I know how difficult of a, of a road they have ahead of them. And, and as you and I know, you know, many people only stick with it for a couple of years, yeah. know, but they still have this degree that's very specific to one field. So then right. it can become very difficult to transition to something else. What do you think the key is to longevity in this career? And having you know, as an actor, else. especially. Yeah. Um, you know, people used to always say, don't have a fallback plan because you'll have to fall back on it. But I actually don't know any professional actors and including ones that are on Broadway and in TV and film that don't have other things they do to make money. Right. Um, so having other skills is really, really important. And it's also important that those are skills and jobs that don't um, make it really difficult for you to pursue your acting career. So, you know, I'm not totally sure what um, kind of side hustles you've had. You know, I know you're a musician, um, which is always a great extra skill. Yeah. But, um, you know, waitressing and, cater waitering and all those things can be tough because it's late nights. Um, real estate can yeah. be hard. That's almost just as much rejection as being an actor. Um, so I, I think it's important to have other things that you do, which is actually why I'm kind of a proponent of people getting um, a minor or a double major while they're in school um, because those can be really useful. I actually just got my, uh, BS in business administration oh, management. Good for you. Yeah. It was through equity actually. So wow. they had this program. I think they still have it, but it's, um, through union plus. And it was, I was able to finish my degree cause I, I, I went to acting school in New York and mm -hmm. it was a, I, well, I went to two years at university in Oregon. Um, but I left to go to a conservatory in New York mm -hmm. and it wasn't degree granting. So yeah, but I told myself. So I didn't finish my degree back then, but I always told myself if it was free and I could go back, like I don't, ha I wouldn't have an excuse not to do it. You know, um, that's incredible. I'm not familiar with that program. I need to look it up. I know. I would, I, I always tell people about it because I didn't know. And it, it had existed for five years, I think before COVID. And then obviously COVID kind of drove it up because it's an all, it was an, I, it's changed since I was in it, but it's an all online program. It's through the Ohio yeah. Through the Ohio University system. Um, wow. Well, and I know many. Thank you, thank you. So yeah, we both graduated in May, and uh, awesome. it's a uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's really great. And I and I totally agree about having different skills. And um, I always tell people the story of I, I used to cater a lot too, and um, but it was always like you could be on Broadway one week and the next week you could, you could be catering, you know, it's like easily, just yeah. easily this, this business is uh, nothing if not humbling for people, for most people, oh I would my say. Gosh. 
I know Broadway actors that take tables on Monday nights, you know, like or not <laughs> on stage. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's a good point that you brought up about the conservatories, the two-year conservatories. And I have some clients from different ones that are amazing, you know, but you don't have a college degree. So it can be um, limiting for uh, pursuing other opportunities that aren't performing. Right. You know, I think you yeah. would really well to get to get an MFA at some point, you know, and there's some programs that are only a year, you know, so you could knock it out in a year. Yeah. I think I think what you did is super smart getting your higher education because that opens you up for so many more things. And yeah. um, I think a lot and I guess, like you said, most people go through BFA programs and they move to the city, which isn't a bad route. I mean, a lot of people take that. But the right. question then is, and kind of what my my site and my I'm, I'm making a course right now um, for younger actors to kind of bridge oh, that yeah. gap between between getting out of between graduating from college and then becoming a working actor and like just all the practical stuff about making your actors access look good and having an actor yeah. website and how do you get an agent and all this stuff and these programs uh, don't do anything with actors access I'm like are you crazy that's like the number one way that people get cast in a show. I know. I know. Um, I mean, that is the industry standard is when I'm submitting someone for Broadway, I'm submitting their actor's access profile to casting. That is what casting right. is seen. There's not right. really any other uh, vehicle that's currently used. Yeah. And I was, I was just coaching someone yesterday and they were like, like, do you think it's worth it to upload to actor's access or can I just do my website? I'm like, yeah. Totally. You have to like everything's done through there, you know, and it's, you know, we, you have to deal with their pricing. I mean, it's a one time, you know, everyone kind of bulks at the the pricing of like uploading a minute of, of footage and stuff, but that's the price. I mean, that's, that's, it's a low price. If you think about it in terms of what it can do for you, if you have good clips. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a very kind of antiquated software too. So people yeah. get really sick of having to, um, wrestle with it but it's it is the industry standard if you want to be yeah. especially if you have representation and they're submitting you and you want to be on hbo or netflix or wicked or disney or whatever that is the tool that is used the virtual tool that is used to submit actors and set up those auditions and submit the yeah. self-tapes for the most part I'm curious because you are you're an active educator. Like, what do you tell your students that are mo that are moving to New York or another big market after they graduate? Well, you know, in, in New York, I feel like it's kind of sad a little bit right now. And I don't know what your experience has been like, but, you know, those days of going from appointment to appointment um, don't seem like they're quite as... Um, consistent anymore because there is so many things that are done via self-tape you know right. there was nothing more invigorating back in the day than going to an agent appointment at ripley and then you have another one at pearl and then you got to go downtown for a tv and film audition and you know then you have your name on an epa list or an open call you know that was really fun and i know the required calls are in person again but um it doesn't seem like the initial agent appointments are as, um, they don't seem to be happening in person as much um, for a number of reasons. And I think one is they realized they could see a lot more people and consider a lot more people. 
um, virtually and not have it be condensed to however many people you can see in a 10 to six day session with an hour lunch break. You right. know, so at Baker, we have clients that, you know, are getting asked to tape for projects that back in the day, you know, we were never able to get people seen for in person, you know, but <clears throat> you can probably solicit self tapes from as many as three to five times the amount of people that you would have been able to see in person on a yeah. private invited. It's kind of a, kind of a double-edged sword then because, you know, more people get seen, but then that's more people get seen. Like for every opportunity, there's tons more people being considered, exactly. which. Yeah. Kind, you know, yeah, and it's, it's a, it's a live art form. So, and I feel bad for the TV and film auditions. I don't know how much you go in for those, but those are always so much fun because the casting people would always try to coach you a little bit and give you a couple different takes and, right. you know, um, try to get takes that had different qualities and acting choices assigned to them. So, you know, you could sort of give them a t little bit of a taste of everything that you could do, but, um, you know, it doesn't seem like that's as much the case, at least for the initials. Um, so I, I kind of feel bad. It's, it's changed, you know, I guess in some ways it's good, but I think it's just a lot. The culture of it is a lot different, you know? I mean, I think when you and I met, we were at, we were at, uh, agent appointments for something. Um, yeah. You know, so if that were happening I, I, now, it probably would not yeah. have been the same. I remember the days where I would go, like you said, to basically five auditions in, in a single yeah. day. And and in January, six, especially you said six, I hit six one day. Yeah. Wow. But, but this January, I mean, and you know, there used to be a casting season of like January to mm -hmm. what would you say? April or so? I yeah. Don't know. For summer, 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 for summer. And then now, this year, January, manager, or as a manager, sorry to interrupt. Um, yeah. The casting season there isn't really an audition season i mean i've had right. people get called in for wicked and waitress you know the week before christmas you know um it's just there is a, a condensed time of the year that's for summer employment you know right yeah but but it's it compared to what it used to be i'm also coming from the i came i lit i was in la for a few years um, so I'm kind of relearning the city myself and what comparing to what I used to experience in January, I was like, January, man, there's so many auditions. Every theater wow. comes to New York. There was like, there's such a fraction of what there used to be in my, from what I remember. And I don't know if that's because of COVID because all these theaters closed. It's because of self tape. Like I'm trying to figure it out and trying to, yeah, trying to suss out what's going on because it just seems so low to compared to what it used to be. I don't, do you experience that or is that, am I? Um, I don't find that the breakdowns are any more or less busy than they've been in the past. Okay. I can tell you that from a booking perspective, you know, I'm way down. I mean, my people are way down than they right. ever were. So that's probably indicative a little bit. Right. Um, but I also, I mean, I have a friend who run, who owns a, an agency and I, you know, I, I'm a manager, so we're a, a talent management company. So we're not franchised uh, through any of the unions, but um, I have a friend that, that owns a, a 
union um, talent agency. And I mean, they're posting bookings every day, you know, six, right. seven people in one tour alone. I mean, that's thousands of dollars in commission, you know? Yeah. I mean, that can be very lucrative, you know, five or six people doing Greece on Royal Caribbean, just that one production, you know, yeah, probably a thousand dollars in commission each every week, just on those people. Right. Um, so if there's anyone out there that's looking to get into representation, you know, you really want to examine what the jobs are that pay the most and that are hiring the most and find actors that are competitive for those types of opportunities. So right now, you know, cruises are, are a place where people can work and make a lot of money and they're having auditions all the time. Right. Uh, Non-union tours, you know, don't pay that well, but if you can get a couple people in a non-union tour, then that could look kind of lucrative, but you know, there's only certain actors that will do either of those things. And there's only certain actors that are competitive for those kinds of jobs because they're a very specific sort of skill set, you know, in terms of look, in terms of vocal ability, in terms of dance skill, you know, right. to be on the mean girls national tour, you know, in the ensemble. I mean, that's not, that's dancing that not any, just every, any old kid with a BFA musical theater can do, you know, that's right. very advanced. Um, hip hop and jazz choreography, at least in my opinion. Um, so it's kind of you know, jumping from that, um, kind of going off that, like I've been, I'm a big proponent of special skills of, of like, I, like you said, I, I, I've done music a lot, um, as a yeah. musician and singer. And what is your, what is your view of that? Because I always tell people like, you need to have as many skills as you can. I mean, think what did you grow up doing did you grow up and did you go to dance class did you play an instrument or mm -hmm. are you an artist like a visual artist i mean basically anything but those those two things are really big in the industry for musical theater obviously well, you're absolutely right an actor musician is in fact the people that are actor musicians on my roster work the most out of anyone right um, because those shows are continuing they're they're being produced often probably for the same reasons that we're talking about because they are cheaper to produce because the actors are the musicians, you know, once it seems like I'm submitting people for once, once every couple weeks, you know, <laughs> right. buddy Holly. Um, and then there's all these revivals that are actor musician sort of um, generated. So it's yeah. an amazing skill to have. Um, I've, you know, something that always hurt my acting career was I'm not, a strong musician, you know, I don't have strong musicianship skills. So, um, if you do, that can be an incredible asset. Um, you know, but also I've have, have met a couple actors recently that are doing really well with being able to bring a little bit more to the table. Like they can do social media for the theater. Really? Um, they can do wigs for the theater. Um, they can do seamstress work for the theater. Um, you know, so anything that you can do outside of singing, dancing and acting, um, can be really beneficial. It can be a dance captain. They can be an assistant choreographer. Right. Um, they can help with music. They can help like do sectional work, you know, like take all the sopranos and sit down at a piano and go over their parts, you know? So, um, 
And that's part of like making yourself indispensable. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, From, uh, from being a casting director too, like um, what makes an actor stand out to you during an audition? Well, you know, I think the, the most common answer is preparation. And you would think that most people are really prepared, but that's not always the case. And I think actually a lot of people are prepared, but then they get nervous and, and then they don't look like they're as prepared. Right. Um, you know, having this feeling of being seasoned and experienced, which is a difficult thing to teach. Um, but I try to do it with my students, even if they aren't experienced, there's sort of tricks to make an actor come across as looking like they know what they're doing. Like what? Um, it's hard because it's sort of a vibe. It's an essence. It's how you respond yeah. to the people in the room, how you introduce yourself, how you come into the room, how you work with the accompanist, what material you choose, how you present that material. Um, you know, I've just seen a lot of really awkward, like scared early career actors during my time as a casting director, you know, and it's just, it's just really evident. Even if someone has a pretty good voice, you know, it's just evident when they don't have a lot of experience, you know, um, you say that's like confidence and being prepared as far as like even rehearsing the whole audition process. Yeah. And, and it's also like how you interact with the people behind the table, like not being, weird and awkward and i know and again it's like we say these things but i think people think like oh duh like that's really obvious but but then we continue to see it like all the time you know so um interpersonal skills are like really important you know honestly the people who work the most are the people who are really easy to work with you know kind down to earth you know, just like real human beings, you know, not always on, not performing in as a person, weird actor, (laughs) you know, narcissism or neurosis. Um, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of shows with people who were very difficult to work with, you know, and, um, I wouldn't bring them in for anything and I wouldn't recommend them for anything. And in fact, there's been a few people that I've reached out to producers and said, listen, it's not worth it. Do not, to hire that person, they're going to end up causing way more problems for you than right. they would actually offering their talents to the show you want to use them in. Um, you know, I don't know what your experience like that has been, but um, there's a lot of actors that that aren't that just aren't that much fun to work with. You know, they make for yes. an annoying or unpleasant work environment. I say, bring leave the drama on the stage. Like mm-hmm. it shouldn't be. The, the process shouldn't be dramatic. The, the result should be the drama on the stage. Like exactly. I'm always, I'm always about just being a person, just be a person, like be a good person, show up. And I don't know about you, but people have told me throughout my career, like as a way to kind of combat what you're saying about coming into the room more confidently, like I've been, you know, people, some people say, Oh, come in. Like, it's like, you're having a good day. Like act as if mm-hmm. you're having one of the best days of your life or, you know, it's like there are some tricks, I think some psychological tricks, because like you said, people get nervous in auditions. I get nervous in auditions. I don't know if you ever did, but uh, or do. But um, like it, it's it's part of it. But, you know, 
there's there's a lot of like reframing that you can do of like saying i'm not yeah. nervous i'm excited and and stuff like that and i'm excited that it's going to go well and stuff like that and i think those can be helpful to people yeah and being calm you know it's interesting when people feel vulnerable and when they feel nervous and when they feel exposed you know they can say and do things that are just a little bit abrasive you know and mm -hmm. so it's important to Honestly, that's why a big part of my career when I graduated was I want to go to as many auditions as possible. So I get used to what nerves in my body and in my mind feel like, and I'm used to that. And I know how to sort of take those on and apply them to the performance that I'm doing, etc. cetera. Um, so repetition, going on, on as many auditions as possible, putting yourself in that environment, you know, it's a sensory experience as well. You know, I mean, Pearl Spina, Pearl Studios, I don't know, whatever they use to clean it, there's like a smell, you know, the fluorescent lighting, how you, how um, you sing with a live accompanist in specific spaces makes a big difference. You know, there's some rooms that are really live. There are some rooms that are really dead. Um, and then being able to do your work regardless of what the energy is, of the people behind the table are giving you is also a big piece of it. Most of right. the time they look like they'd rather be dead than where they are at that moment. <laughs> so you can't let that inform your acting or singing choices either. So, um, and then there's all the weird people you meet, you know, in the holding room and in line. And um, so there's just a lot that can easily throw you and so I think going on as many auditions as possible is actually a good way to dissipate that a little bit, you know, but ultimately what stands out the most is someone who's really, really right for what my client is looking for, you know, someone who's really, really right for the role. Um, that is, I think what really grabs people the most and that's out of our control as actors. Yeah. Um, I had the chance to talk with uh, Jamie Beth Margolis oh, yeah. um, and she's, she's a great casting director, just mm -hmm. did a uh, harmony on Broadway. Yeah. And, um, and she was telling me about how basically that, you know, obviously casting directors work on different projects at the same time. Like they can um, be, have one thing and, and you come in for that, but you're not right. And I think people forget that they forget, I was talking with another actor and they were like, Oh, I don't want to go to EPAs anymore. I don't want to go to the ECCs. And I'm like, you're not going for the show. I mean, you mm -hmm. are, but you're also going for the person that's casting it and they could yep. be casting something else. Like that, that is, I don't know. I don't know what your opinion is on this, but mine has always been like net people are like, how do you network in this industry? And I'm like, you show up, you show up well, to auditions, you do good work. I mean, what are you going to do? Like, are you going to, I mean, you can also do every, do the extra, like you can send postcards to people and you can, mm -hmm. there's events. I'm sure I never yeah, was big into that. I don't know. Opening nights and stuff. Opening nights. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, doing good work in the room is the most that you can ask for. Because then you know if you don't get the role or you don't get a callback, that at least you did everything that you could do. And trust me, just because you give a lovely audition 
doesn't necessarily mean that they liked it because this is such a subjective field, you know? Um, it's not Jamie Beth who, get, who tells this story. It's it, There's another casting director who always uses this analogy, and I think it's really good. She could show the same actor to three creative teams. One creative team says they sing sharp, one says they sing flat, and one says they're be the best singer they've ever heard in their life. So people in our business... <laughs> in this art form for whatever reason are very opinionated. I mean, I had some colleagues come and watch my show the other night, a run through, you know, and, Oh, I like this for, Oh, I didn't like this person. Oh, you thought she was good. I thought she was terrible. Oh, I thought she was amazing. You know? So um, that's another part of our field. That's really difficult. You know, it's art. So it's super, super, super subjective. Um, right. And so going in and doing your absolute best is, the most you can do aside from keeping up your skill set, you know, as a singer, taking classes, um, seeing shows that I think is always really, really helpful going to as many auditions as possible. You know, auditions are really the only thing that we have um, to keep up our skills as a performer. Right. So if we're not auditioning and we're not doing a show, we're not really doing anything, you know, yeah. I mean, there's classes. You can take classes, obviously, too. Yeah. Um, but auditions are. But th the thing is that I that I'm, I'm always thinking about is like auditions are a different skill than performing to me. Like it's different than being in a show because you don't have you don't have all the elements of a show. You don't you don't right. have lights and costumes and sound and and weeks of rehearsal. You have a t you're giving them a taste of what it could be like, you mm -hmm. know, if they don't know you already. And it's so important to just show up and like, and that auditioning is a difference. It's, it's a similar skill than performing, but it's not the exact same as being in a show and you have yeah. to be able to compensate. I try to look at it as it's my show. It's like my solo show. Mm. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. this is the one time where I can do something that is very well prepared, especially if it's from my own repertoire material that I really believe in that I know I sound great on, or that I know I'm super connected to. I have a, usually a, a wonderful collaborative accompanist there. And I have people behind the table who have to sit there and watch and that I hope are like informed theater artists, you know, that enjoy seeing something presented for them that I have confidence in. So I think there is a way to sort of mentally make that, connection a little bit and then right. also on the flip side you know we see all these people lined up at these open calls and these epas and stuff and i just have a really hard time believing that all those people are ready to be showing their work to whoever it is behind the t that's behind the table in fact i know that most of them are not actually ready for that so i think that's something you see a lot is is people go to a lot of auditions they do the whole thing and really the work they're putting out there is not um, it's making a, not a good reputation for them. Like, you know, they they're doing things that is, are actually going to be counterintuitive to their career down the line. Like it's really difficult to get casting directors call to call someone in that they've seen before that they didn't think were good, you know, wow. even if it was at an EPA. I mean, right. people shoot themselves in the foot a lot by going to all these EPAs and giving mediocre auditions, because if I submit you, 
to that same casting director and the EPA audition was pretty weak. They're not going to schedule you for an appointment for another project. You know, that's actually to me where um, the required calls are the best. The the most useful is you go in, you give, do something lovely. And then I submit you for a project that that casting director is doing and Jamie Beth or Holly or um, Rachel or Mary, they go, Oh my gosh, I remember him. I think I saw him at something a couple of weeks ago. He was awesome. I'll definitely schedule him for this, you know? Right. Um, so I think, so it's all, it's synergistic more, in that way. Right. As far as I think, um, even myself, I get into this frame. I'm like, I don't want to go to EPAs or, you know, like it, it, it's, um, but I know other people feel that way too, that they don't want to do it. And, that it can all lead into something else and something better. Like it's all grist for the mill as one of my acting teachers used to say, <laughs> as far as like it all can feed into it, it itself, you know, and like you going to the CPA could help you be called in for a different show. Like you just said. Um, yeah. But I think it is important to have representation um, for that synergy to kind of pay off. So yeah, I'm, a big proponent actually of required calls and open calls and pay to plays. But I think you need an agent submitting you concurrently for other projects that that casting director is working on because ultimately they don't often, and this has changed with self tapes. They don't often actually call in people who they haven't seen before and whose work they, they haven't responded to positively in the past. Now I found with the self tapes, they cast a wider net, you know, and so they'll take chances on soliciting a tape from someone that they're maybe not as familiar with. But when it was scheduling, you know, appointments on a 10 to six audition day, it was mostly people that they had seen before in some capacity and liked. Um, so I think it's important that both of those things happen at the same time. I, you know, I'm not a big proponent in general. I think you asked, you know, what do I tell people? if they're going to move to the city, you know, you really need representation. You know, I just don't, I, I'm not really sure how it can happen for someone unless they have legit representation with an agent or a manager. And how do early career actors get them? Well, they can email me at help me help you get rep at gmail.com and I can do it. Um, there you go. I have a whole system that I've come up with that I've uh, been doing this for over 10 years, coaching actors on getting representation And um, I essentially chat with them about their career trajectory and then we write a cover letter and then they submit that cover letter to about 200 agents and managers in New York City and New Jersey and um, wait to see what kind of responses they get. But my success rate is about is close to 100 percent. I mean, it's been rare that someone hasn't gotten anything out of it. Now, I don't endorse or do anything like in terms of standing behind the representatives that they submit to, like it's just helping you get the deal with the agent or the manager. So by a hundred percent, you mean they've been represented a hundred percent or like that you've gone. Is that, is that what you mean? A hundred percent of the people who have done this have secured representation close to a hundred percent have secured representation with an agent or a manager. However, that doesn't mean that a hundred percent of those agent client or manager client relationships have, you know, 
led to some fabulous Broadway or TV and film booking, you know, right. I can only help you get the representative to bring you on as a client. What happens after that, you know, is not something that I have any control over, obviously. Of course. Yeah. You know, so some of them have gotten agents and managers and it hasn't, the relationship kind of fizzled out, you know. Um, but I just That's had awesome. a text from a client, someone that did this about a year ago who said um, they got an, a manager. They just got uh, a self-tape for the Anne Juliet tour. You know, it's all of his dream uh, opportunities are coming to fruition. So I've, I have a lot of success stories, you know. Um, what I don't are, what are some tips that you would give someone? Um, you want to... Um, essentially outline all of the things that you're right for that are actively casting. Mm -hmm. So that is both plays and musicals that are done often and then shows on Broadway and on tour that are not going away anytime soon. You so know, basically or make it as easy as possible for them to know yeah, where to put so you. You know, let's, I mean, I'm just going to spitball. What are some shows that are being done all the time right now, regionally? I'll ask you, what are, throw a couple out. Um, I know, well, for my niche, like Million Dollar Quartet is done everywhere. Yeah, that one's not, never going away. Once isn't going away. Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals are not going away. Disney musicals right. are not going away. Waitress right. is now a, a title that a lot of places are doing. Beautiful, Beautiful is yeah. one that is never going to go away. Mama Mia is never going to go away. So hairspray. I would have you yeah. hairspray grease. Um, I would have you in your cover letter, write All the tracks that you're suitable for in those shows. Um, then we look at Broadway and touring wicked, never going away. So can you be a role in wicked? I would have you write that down. Wicked is often in casting sessions. They put out breakdowns every couple months. Usually. Um, can you be in lion King? Um, can you be in, um, uh, what else is a lot? Well, I would have said phantom, but that's gone now. Book of Mormon, uh, I guess. Is Book of Mormon. Hamilton. Chicago, Hamilton. I would yeah. have you list all the things that you could do in those shows. If you, if there are tracks that you're appropriate for. Yeah. Then we also do what's called your almost resume. So you list things that you've been up for that you didn't get or positive relationships with other casting directors um, people that have given you good feedback, people that have called you in on a regular basis. And then I also have you list um, celebrities that you're similar to. So they get a sense of um, your type, essentially your brand, you know? Yeah. So let's say we were, we were doing it for James, you know, we could say he's got a little bit of Gavin Creel, but he's also got a little bit of, um, you know, Brad Pitt and he's got a little bit of Chris Pine and Chris Evans and um, also um, who's the guy who is uh, beautiful noise, you know, playing that role. Um, uh, Audra McDonald's husband, uh, Will Swenson. Oh. You know, that's I'll sort take, of, I'll take those. That's, those are very kind. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I would, you know, that's how I, I write the cover letters essentially yeah using information provided by you know the person that i'm working with and yeah, then we just send them out so it's not very targeted though it's like to anyone 
who is an agent or a manager. Because it, to me, it's hard to do targeted when it comes to searching for representation because you don't know who's actually looking at that moment. So I, I think it's better to cast a wide net. I think in general, yeah. it's better to cast a wider net as an actor than uh, to be really targeted. I know that there are coaches and stuff who are like, let's really get specific about what you want to do. And and that's fine, but it just seems like it, the more specific you are, the better chance you have of not working. Right. You know, and, and people think I'd and, rather and, work, not work. Right. I mean, obviously you want, ideally you'd have one amazing agent your whole career, but not everyone has that too. So it's not like it's a permanent decision. I would say mm -hmm. as far as like who you're working with, um, goes both ways. I mean, they can drop you, you can drop them. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a business of relationships. And what I tell people is, I mean, the way that I've gotten most of my agents is through friends, basically, you know, but your way is cool too. I mean, it's, it, it, it's all about who you know too. And, um, but the way you do it is very helpful as far as speaking yeah. their language, you know? I mean, that's just one way that, you know, I work with actors that are looking for representation, but at Baker, I mean, I've gotten people from showcases, from referrals, from right. the best clients I have are people that I acted opposite. Right. Um, and most of the people that I work with, I've, I've been working with for years, you know, and some of them haven't booked something in years, but I know that they'll always at least put together a quality self tape. I know they'll always go to the audition. They'll be prepared. That is that is different as a manager, a manager versus an agent? Like do the managers mainly have more patience, do you think? Or what do you think the well, difference is? We, I would say really there is that much of a difference besides the um, union affiliations. Right. Um, I consider myself pretty hands-on with my clients. So, but, but that doesn't mean that there aren't agents that aren't hands-on as well you know right. i mean i'll text with people about what are you going to sing what are you going to wear I, I would say it's more I mean, isn't like it more about class. a numbers thing like if you have 200 clients or i don't know how many agents have but if they have a lot more clients there's less time to work with each client right but if you're a manager generally right. you have fewer clients yeah i mean it's definitely we're a boutique office for sure right. um so but yeah would, but i mean the most yeah. that we do for people is get you an audition. Right. That is like the primary goal. Right. You it's know, up to you. How you do in the audition, has, we don't have anything to do with that. Well, you only uh, get, I don't know what percent you, you take. Um, 10%. Okay. Yeah. So they take, you take 10%. So you should do 90% of the work, which is, you know, showing up and doing yeah. kicking butt. And, um, you know, something people have to be cognizant of is, 10% of the gross of something doesn't sound like that much, but it actually can be after taxes and stuff can be pretty sizable and theater doesn't pay that well. So if you're going into that agreement with an agent or a manager, you know, you have to be ready to pay. Um, and theater salaries have really stayed the same in the last 20 years for the most part. I mean, um, a lot of the theaters are paying the exact same that they've been paying for years, especially for non-union. So, right. and in fact, a lot of the non-union tours, the salaries have gone down. So um, if you're going to work with an agent or a manager and try to get one of those gigs through us, you know, we can be very helpful in getting you in the door, but then, you know, you're going to have a big bill at the end, you know, cause on top of, 
taxes and union dues and all the things that, you know, get taken out of our paychecks, you also be getting 10% of the gross taken out and given to us. Right. So um, it's, it's not easy, you know, it's not easy, but for, like you said, so do you recommend that early career actors, like you should try and immediately get an agent or you think build up a resume yes. before? Okay. I think you should always getting an agent should always be the first priority in, in addition to building up your resume. I mean, it should be right. both, you know, and you can have an agent while building up your resume. True. Um, yeah. I'm a proponent and I think you and I are different in that um, our trajectory was a little bit different. I think you've been a union member for a long time. Haven't you? Yeah. About 10 years, more than 10 years. Yeah. So I have never joined um, and I haven't even gotten EMC points since I was in high school. So I have worked at equity theaters, but I am not a union member for me. That has been the right choice because I always just wanted to work. I wanted to build up my resume, play roles, do yeah. professional theater. Um, but I didn't necessarily need to feel like I was, only successful if I was in the union doing it, you know? Yeah. So, um, as I'm, you know, approaching, you know, I'm turning 35 in May. I mean, my feelings on that are a little bit different, but, but on the flip side, they're really not, you know, I would rather do a production, you know, a couple times a year with a great director and a great cast and, you know, get to perform and get something on my resume. Um, and not make as much money as my union counterparts, you know, but I'm also in a different um, demographic, you know, I get benefits through my job at Longwood, you know, so health insurance isn't as important to me as it is to other, you know, union equity what you, members. What do you tell, um, what do you tell early career actors in New York who they're they're They just got to the city. They, you know, they study musical theater or theater, um, and the non-union world I've been told is very difficult right now with, as far as people signing up the night before on their lists and they sign up all their mm -hmm. friends and, and they want to join the well, union just because it's true. That's that, that is, that has been how it's always been. But it, I remember being non-union and it was difficult and it was, and I remember showing up to tons of EPAs and never getting seen and, or getting seen and never getting a role. And what do you think they should do? Well, I think EMC, the EMC program, which I don't actually may not even exist. So I don't know why I'm talking about it. Cause I know there's been a lot of changes in the union. That was always great for me because it, you could get seen at equity auditions ahead of non-union members, but you still were non-union. So right. it was sort of like you could have your toes in both worlds. I do know that that AGMA loophole still exists where you can join AGMA and, and be seen at EPAs as if you were an actor's equity member, but you're still non-union. Hmm. Um, and whoever pulled that off, you know, it's like I, the FI core of the equity world. Like, I've yeah, that, I don't know how that got passed by whoever was in charge <laughs> because I know people that, you know, did it and really, it really paid off for their career, hmm. you know, because, um, they were getting seen at equity appointments for equity regional theaters that didn't have time to see non-union that, you know, their, their appointment slots were full, their EPA. If they, there was too many people, too many union members. They weren't going to be able to see EMC or non-union, but as an AGMA slash not an equity member, 
these colleagues of mine were able to get themselves in front of these producers and thus be considered for that theater's non-union contracts, which all equity theaters have non-union contracts. So um, the people that did it were really able to take advantage of it. But I'm not sure where it stands right now, but I think it might be now you have to wait a year before you can take advantage of that of that benefit as an AGMA member. And again, it all costs money, you know, joining all these unions costs money. Um, um, You know, but anyone now can, can join equity, but I would advise against it for most uh, recent graduates. I think the best thing to do is, is keep yourself as sort of open as possible Mm -hmm. to getting any kind of performing job, you know? And also I think people think, Oh, I need to join the union so that I can audition at EPAs and ECCs. Well, as we've said on this podcast, that's not necessarily like the end all and be all to getting cast in a show. You know, it looks like that because that's what's publicized publicly. But it's not really where like the real casting takes place for those projects necessarily. You know, it seems like more and more the EPAs the required calls for the Broadway shows do, when they are, doesn't have any correlation to when the appointments for replacements are, you know, I mean, it's crazy to me. It's like two totally different schedules. Well, the replacement casting process, it has no schedule because it's based on when people leave. Right. So um, there isn't necessarily a direct correlation between required calls and replacement ap- agent appointments. Um so to join the union just for the that benefit, I don't think is the right path for most yeah. recent graduates. In fact, I think everyone should be going to like UPTA, United Professional Theater Auditions in Memphis. Hmm. Um, that's where most of my work as a recent graduate came from um, all over the country, theaters all over the country. But it's a non-union um, event for the most part. It's not for non-union actors and non-union producing entities i've heard of that yeah did you ever do straw hats or do you you know if straw hats is still a thing once um i do not know if it's still around anymore um i know midwest theater auditions is gone but then i know there's some also there's also some new ones that have popped up but to me upda has always been sort of the gold standard it's the most attended because it's like 80 90 companies um it's worth only for sure yeah, definitely worth doing to any listeners, but I think it's uh, senior year college and beyond. So um, if you're looking to get summer stock, like as a, you know, freshman through junior, you have to look at some of these other um, combined audition events, you know, but those are really interesting on their own in terms of how to prepare for them because up is a strict 90 second song and monologue. So wow. to find material that works, um, in that abbreviated of amount of time can be um, tough as well. And also I think there's a temperature to those kinds of auditions that works better than um, like doing really dramatic work. So if I'm coaching someone for one of those auditions, I I say, you know, what can we do to get them to really laugh? Um, Because it seems like that catches people's attention more than something that's really like grounded and vulnerable and exposed, you know, also these, those auditions are in theaters. They're on a stage of a theater and the company reps are sitting in the audience. 
So there's a level of sort of physical engagement and energy and aura that you need to have that's different from auditioning, you know, in Pearl Studios. So yeah. um, it's, it's its own beast in and of itself. I wanted to kind of change tax a little bit and just ask you about social media. And do you see like uh, uh, how that's changed the landscape? Does that, has that affected your, how your clients book at all? Like if they're a TikTok star or well, anything like that? You know, it's important when it's important and it's not important when it's not important. I mean, yes, we've seen TikTok stars getting cast in shows and TV shows and Broadway shows. And I'm sure that isn't going to be going away anytime soon. You know, I have worked on castings as a casting director looking for influencers um, and people that had large social media followings. That was sort of the specific um, criteria for those castings, you know, but other than that, it doesn't, I don't notice it as something that comes into play very often, you know? Right. So if you're someone who isn't into social media and, and getting thousands of followers, you know, I don't think you need to feel like you're not going to book work, you know, because I don't right. notice it being a huge deciding factor, except when they're like, okay, we want like a influencer, is there you a certain know, type of this, project that like looks for influencers well, more like, you know, hosting? Um, I don't know. I see them. I see them pop up once in a while, but not that often, honestly. Um, hosting I don't know is probably the biggest one. I'd be curious if it's because I was in LA and obviously I think it's, it might be more of a thing out there. Um, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's similar. Yeah. And, you know, I am not a TV and film casting expert. Like I've had clients on TV shows and in movies, but I am, you know, not super comfortable giving out like a lot of feedback and advice about like how to be on a TV show. You know, I know that I can submit you for one, if you are represented by me on breakdowns express, you know, but beyond that, I'm not like an expert on how all of that goes down. Um, you know, as an actor, I was on hold for a couple, you know, episodics and stuff, but, you know, and I've been on TV and I've been on reality shows, but, um, it's just my knowledge base is definitely like theater and musical theater. And in that right. realm, I haven't encountered like, Oh, what, you know, how many followers do they have? That hasn't been a huge part of the discussion, except this yeah. one casting job that I worked on that was not theater. It was a talk show and they were looking for guests that had a lot of followers. So okay. that was, you know, a big part of, of the process. So yeah. if you're into social media and you want to like be famous on social media, go for it. Yeah. If you're not, you, can't, you, you still want to be a professional you know? actor. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't say that you're going to, you know, I wouldn't be like, Oh, I wouldn't I discourage focus on you. the basics first. Right. Like, yeah. Just get, get your materials up there and yeah. Focus on being a great actor. Um, right. and if your passion for social media evolves at some point, then that's fine. But, um, that's not a prerequisite to being a professional actor, you know? Right. Right. But I love, I think social media is good for networking, actually keeping really. up with people, what they're doing, which one, you know, LinkedIn they're working or, on. I do. Or I mean, Instagram. I'm on all of them, but, Facebook and Instagram, I guess, are the ones where I really go to find out like what 
someone is up to, you know, if like they're in their a show. personal profile yeah. or like a public facing. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. A so Facebook profile. friends, basically. Okay. Facebook friends. Yeah. I mean, that's how you and I connected to do this podcast, you know, yeah. that wouldn't have happened if we weren't Facebook friends, you know, we hadn't seen each right. other in a long time. Yeah. So that's where it comes into play for me. And I do spend a lot of time on them because it's important for me as a casting person to kind of know what people are up to, you know, yeah. Um, who's working, where are they working? What are they up to? Are they taking class? You know, do you and I know do you that- recommend, do you recommend, I mean, like LinkedIn, I think Michael Cassara made a joke about LinkedIn being like, that's how I find all my casts basically. Oh, I <laughs> like, love LinkedIn. Okay. I was going to ask. Yeah. Not for finding actors necessarily. <laughs> right. Um, Although but is there a way that like, if it's, yeah. if you don't know someone personally, like, is there a way that's not weird to reach out to someone on social media? Like do a casting I think, or I think reaching out to them, you know, some people will respond well and some people won't, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm never going to think less of someone for reaching out to me on social media. I mean, on LinkedIn, I get a million messages from actors all the time. Really? I don't okay. And they're usually voiceover people, which I don't, I guess I'm not really sure why that is, but, um, a lot of voiceover people have LinkedIn's LinkedIn has been great for me for like myself getting jobs in the entertainment industry, you know? Um, you know, but if you want to try to get in touch with like a CAA agent or a UTA agent, I mean, they all have LinkedIn's, you know? I have a feeling they probably get just as many messages from random actors as I do. They probably get a lot more. Um, right. You know, but uh, yeah, social media, it, it takes up a lot of time. You know, I'm getting tired of everyone just being on their phones all the time. I mean, there's a lot of things about it that are really depressing. I mean, we've totally lost our sense of social engagement, you know, and just being yeah. in the moment. But um in terms of keeping up with people, I think it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, the opportunity there to keep up with people is great. I, I'm, I'm kind of on Instagram more mm-hmm. now and I kind of like that too. I mean, it's the platforms will always change. I think, I mean, there's, there's new ones coming up every day and it's just a matter of you have to know. Yeah. You have to get to know people on a personal basis. Like I try and I, I just try and talk to people at auditions that I don't know. Oh because, yeah. Yeah. There's because you you know that you have something in common you know i mean i talk to other actors and then you know you find out that they're not they do more than acting and you know just be a person i think and, and oh i've had some amazing contacts from people that i've met at auditions yeah um, i've gotten people cast in shows that i've met at auditions i've gotten um, referrals from people that i've met at auditions you know you're sitting there you go oh you've worked there i would love to work there oh well i know they're still looking for so-and-so in this show you should email them yeah tell them you know that we met and i'll get you know you can use my name that's fine i mean that yeah. happens a lot you know i know um so it's a smaller I world than people that. think i think like, oh yeah and people usually especially if you meet in person like it's not just like you're randomly sending a friend request on facebook you know it's like you you were in the same place and i don't know it's just it's just more organic i think so absolutely just about showing so I, up. I encourage people to use social media to keep people informed about what they're doing and, you know, what they're up to. And, you know, I mean, honestly, I've seen people write, Hey, I'm out of work for the next couple of months. Does anyone know of anything? And honestly, yeah. I've seen positive results from that. 
you know i see that all the time actually yeah maybe mm-hmm. not not just for actors other other people in the industry too yeah though. um yeah so use it all use this use every tool at your disposal you know yeah. and be social you know like i'm not the most i wouldn't say i'm the most extroverted person but i try and be social you know and just in your own way i think be authentically Absolutely. you you know yeah i mean going out and meeting people which is kind of a lost art um especially in new york is is still something that you know people do i mean new york is a city for people who are outgoing you know yeah like people move to new york because they like meeting interesting unique people you know sort of like the impetus for why a lot of people end up in new york city it's for like the outcasts you know from everywhere else (laughs) so um it's a great city for networking for sure you know but it can be exhausting and not every you know networking opportunity is going to pay off um and result in a job or something but you you know again you have to literally try everything and anything you have to be pounding the pavement and it means not just showing up to auditions but your whole life you know structure your life in a way that like you said do a do a survival job that that is flexible um you know think about how you want your career to be marketing materials yep you know keeping up your skills acting singing if you dance if you do instruments you know getting making sure you know keeping up with private lessons or whatever you know and all that costs money too so it's like i mean this is not an easy um gig by any stretch of the imagination so you you do really have to love it to do it but i also think that people think you can't do other things concurrently and i have found that not to be true i think it's well, actually proof of that you do so much right. concurrently <laughs> thank you um you know but i'm not the only one you know so yeah um i encourage well, like you said people- earlier like everyone does something else like no matter right. where you are in the industry i mean i mean ryan reynolds has mint mobile you know like he's not yeah. just acting you know so it's like and and you know what it can be that can be a positive thing it doesn't have to be a negative thing like you can have so many I mean, interests I'll never forget, uh and her name is escaping me but she was in beetlejuice and um she was in um that show that um it was like a farce and Jason Alexander directed it over the summer. Um, oh, right. I the name is escaping called. me. Anyway, she's been original Broadway cast of a couple different um, companies. And um, I mean, I, I, I'm almost positive. She still has her 20 hours a week, like personal assistant job um, yeah. throughout all of it. You know, uh, there's, a, I mean, a million, a million stories like that. Um, so it's important when you, you know, that you find something that you actually really love so that it doesn't feel like it's so much a diversion from performing, you know, like honestly, my survival job was talent managing for a long time. So Hmm. um, that never felt like something I was doing that was just sort of wasting away my time and my abilities, you know, right. It was something that was inherently um, connected to performing yeah awesome um well we've talked about so many amazing things and uh i really appreciate you coming on the podcast 
thank you so much. It was so nice to reconnect with you. And I'm so proud of how well you're doing. And um, I wanted to plug uh, the reality show that I'm on. And it's streaming on Broadway On Demand and Reverie, which is actually a free streaming platform, R-E-V-R-Y. And it's called Theality TV, T-H-E-A-L-I-T-Y TV. And um, it is a reality show about the making of an off-Broadway musical. We completed principal photography um, on Valentine's Day of 2020. And um, so it is a great binge watch. And it's all the things that you would expect from a reality show about the theater business. It's funny. It's disturbing. It's um, dramatic. Uh, it's all those things. Michael Musto's on it. Um, Fred Rosser, first openly gay wrestler in the WWE. Um, lots of familiar New York actors. So um, I trying to get more people uh, to check out the show because, you know, if you like jury duty and tiger King and cheer, you know, I think you'd really like theality TV. Check that out. Is there any other way to, for people to get in contact with you? I can always be reached at RJ McGee casting at gmail.com. Um, RJ McGee casting on Facebook, add me on Facebook, RJ McGee, Instagram, RJ for the win exclamation point. Um, McGee RJ at longwood.edu career coaching. Help me help you get rep at gmail.com. You know, they all go to the same place. So um, I would love to hear from anyone who'd love to chat. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's really good to have. It's amazing. I mean, yeah, I think your career has been just endlessly productive and fascinating. And I think the, the fact that you have, you're such a multifaceted person in this industry is a big reason why I wanted to have you on. So thank you so much for sharing. And um, I appreciate all of your listeners for checking in and now I'm off to little shop rehearsal. All right. Have a good evening. All right. You too.